0: Hi everyone and welcome back to A Drop in the Bucket. This is a podcast about mental wellbeing, where we use the analogy of a stress bucket to think about what affects our mental health and what helps us to cope and feel well.
1: We are a primary school teacher and a clinical psychologist who love talking to people about their experiences and we want to share these conversations with you.
0: Welcome to Series 2, Episode 2. Welcome back everyone this week we're joined by Shelley who is the brain behind Ivy's Library, a website that offers bite-sized book reviews for kids and suggestions for books around particular topics or themes such as books that talk about emotions or books about friendship. Having always been a bookworm I'm really excited to have her here to have another excuse to talk about reading. So Shelley welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So we always start with your icebreakers so firstly and very
2: relevantly what was your favourite book as a child? So I'm torn between two. It would have to be either the Magic Faraway Trees series which I loved and I'm really looking forward to reading with my daughter soon and also Anna Green Gables. She's an amazing role model so loved her. thought she was fantastic.
0: You know what's awful is that I've never actually read Anna Green Gables.
2: Oh, you know, no. I was about to admit the same thing. It's, she, it's a, she's a great character. She's full of confidence. She's well not so much confidence. She's got red hair, which she has. She gets picked on, but she's got lots of confidence around other things. And it's, um, it's a great series for just making you feel good about yourself, basically. She's a, she's a great character. Well, I think we can both add that to our list of summer reading. Yes, great, for, great to read as an
0: adult as well, definitely. But The Magic Faraway Tree, adore that. Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, great choice. So if you could do any job other than your current one, what
2: would you do? I have to link that one back to books as well, I'm afraid it would be to be a children's author would be phenomenal, I think it's just getting that idea like the the one thing that nobody else has thought of, so maybe one day we'll see yeah, but that would be great
0: I think often the the books that I read, the children's books that I read that I really really love, I think, oh, that's such a simple idea, that's such a good idea, um but yeah, I can
2: never come up with them it's yeah, it's finding the thing that someone else hasn't quite done so. Yeah, yeah, we'll see.
0: And if you could instantly become an expert in something, what
2: would it be? Parenting, absolutely without a doubt. <laughs> to, to just know exactly what to do to not mess your children up actually would be fantastic. Yeah, every day is a challenge when it comes to parenting. So I think to just know that you're doing it right would make it so much easier. <laughs>
0: yeah. And how old is your daughter? Uh, she's four and a half. Oh, okay
2: so we're at lovely that lovely age yeah that it's a, it's a good age she she picks she's like a sponge so she picks everything up and she's really kind of her imagination's fantastic so she's really into sort of playing with her dolls and making up stories and yeah she's uh, she's great fun at the moment
1: um i'm a primary school teacher and reception is the age that, I, that four and five year olds they're my jam she's just about to start reception now in september
2: which she's really excited about actually fortunately
1: Good. Okay, we are then going to do a quick five, so it's just an Mm either-or. Milk or dark chocolate?
2: Milk, every time.
1: Paper or electronic diary?
2: Ooh, paper.
1: Starter or dessert? Starter. Big party or small gathering? Small gathering. And then finally, the question that
2: divides Becca and I, to nap or not to nap? Ooh, I love a nap, but naps do not love me. So I'd probably have to say not nap. <laughs> you land on Becca's side on that. But then
1: I don't have, I don't have kids,
2: so I'm still merrily ha- napping to my heart's content. So. <laughs> yeah, no, naps are great, but I find that I wake up feeling worse than I did before I started. So they all seem like a better idea than they are a reality. That's exactly my reasoning. I find it hard to get to sleep for a nap and I wake up feeling just discombobulated. Yeah, I don't know what day it is, what time of day it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We need more practice. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect. So, <laughs> brilliant. Thank you very much, Shelley. So, could you start by just
2: telling us a little bit more about yourself and your experiences of mental health? So, my name is Shelley. Uh, I work part time from home, I'm a freelancer which is something I started doing after um, I had my daughter. So I work at home in a marketing role. And also, obviously, I run my website. I'm a very anxious person in general. So that tends to be my my biggest issue. Um, I, did, I had quite a relatively severe period of depression about 10 years ago, which went on for about three years. Um, so I took, did a lot of therapy, talking therapy, which worked great for me. And fortunately, there's been no resurgence of that since. But anxiety yeah, definitely is. Um, I find that anything that's a new situation, meeting new people, I'm kind of like a child in that I thrive on routine. So anything that knocks me out of my routine, I t- tend to get quite stressed about. I have to sort of overcompensate by like making sure I'm really over-prepared for things, making lists, checking I know exactly what I'm kind of going into, like to the crazy degree um so that it's not as stressful as it could be for me Sarah, i think there's probably quite a lot in there that you identify with
1: (laughs) oh yeah honestly i was i was just sitting there go yeah i I totally get it i i had depression about four years ago not for as long but um yeah quite severe period of depression there and uh have anxiety and i think i realized off the back of my depression that i've always had anxiety
2: yeah exactly the same yeah i just
1: couldn't identify it before that yeah. I thought that everybody's brains functioned the mm. way that mine did. And it was only from taking medication for the depression that my brain then slowed yeah. with my anxiety. And I was like, oh, oh, this is what it's like to not constantly have things whirring around your head. I often rehearse conversations in cars. If I'm really anxious as I'm driving somewhere, I'll have the conversation and what could happen. And if they're going to say that, then maybe I'll say this and over and over and over again. I don't know if- It's one of my signs for me that my anxiety is getting bad as I start to rehearse conversations more often. Yeah, I'm
2: nodding furiously here because I do the exact same thing.
0: (laughs) I think what's really interesting is that I do a lot of the same things that Sarah does in order to feel better and just manage life like we both love a good list and we both really love talking through our emotions and just all sorts of things particularly around organization but I wouldn't say that I'm an anxious person Um, people would maybe describe me as a bit stressy (laughs) Um, and I've realized that that's that's a very different thing actually The the way the things that we think are going to happen, or how much we dwell on what might happen, Sarah has like lots of different eventualities in her mind. Um, I think that's the anxiety side of it, isn't it? It's trying to think of all the different possible possibilities um, and set yourself up for dealing with them. Whereas my brain doesn't work like that. I just the only way I can describe my brain is that there's constantly new things coming in, and it's a feeling of I can't possibly do everything or cope with
2: everything. Yeah. But again, I think you get that at times, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I think with me, I, I'm i a massive overthinker and I worry a lot about what other people think of me, even though I know that I shouldn't. So I'll, I, I will definitely do the preparing for conversations, but then post-conversations, I'll then sort of spend ages, you know, middle of the night, two o'clock, thinking about a, a conversation I had four or five years ago and what I should have said instead of what I did say that you know, has no bearing on anything anymore. But little things like that tend to stick with me and stress me out.
1: The shower is often where I yeah. come up with my best my best responses to what I could. <laughs> I suddenly go, oh, I know what I would have said. I should have said this. Yep. Like somehow, and then I keep having to remind myself, I can't go back to that person three years on and go, you know, when you said this. Yeah,
2: like you start that conversation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be a really random text message to get, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> do you remember me? Do you remember we had this conversation? yeah. So you've already touched on it a little bit, Shelley, but what are some of the things that add stress to your stress bucket?
2: Definitely change in routine. I think things like uh, lockdown, the beginning of that, I found quite hard just because I, my day, I like my day to always go a certain way. And if it gets thrown, then I can definitely feel myself start to get stressed about things that I really shouldn't get stressed about. But once I'm in a routine, it's great. Like, when my You know, my daughter goes off to preschool every day. i sit, that's my time for me to sit and do my work. And that all feels comfortable to me because it all works in a familiar rhythm. But as soon as that gets knocked in any way, then just the smallest little things can start to stress me out, which aren't really in any way related to routine, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Another thing that kind of really stresses me out is mess. I find that in order for my brain to, for me to be able to focus on something and for me to concentrate, then... I just can't have crazy mess around me, which is quite challenging when you've got a four 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 and a half year old who just like, she just shoots toys out wherever she goes. I find that quite stressful and I have to have little times in the day where I need to tidy things away because as soon as it gets to a point where the, the space around me looks overwhelming then my head feels overwhelmed and I can't really think about all the things I need to think about, they're like the two biggest stresses for me. Yeah, just focusing on things that i don't really need to focus on i used to get quite bad panic attacks when i was in the, the period of depression they they're few and far between these days but they will always be about something that doesn't really matter you know so it's, it's a weird such a, a weird thing and you get the you know, the, the feeling of the, the pressing feeling on your chest feeling really hot and i get sort of what i call electricity pains which are just like little shooting pains that run up my arms and across my chest. And then you kind of know that you've got to stop and think about what it is that's causing it, but it can be something completely, you know, something small. I got, I, had, um, I got married at the end of last year. Prior to that, we had an engagement party and I, there was just the smallest, I think because I'd, I'd built it up in my head, the smallest little thing triggered me. And then I spent most of the evening afterwards awake with the feeling on my chest, completely stressed.
1: I think often as well when it's something little you almost for me at least I then would it would help the panic attack hide it was coming because I was like but I shouldn't be bothered about that that's not why am I I don't understand why I would be upset about that or panicked about that and so then um what I would get uh, sometimes is that uh, the real feeling that something was genuinely wrong with me yeah that 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 I was actually unwell and um, it couldn't possibly be a panic attack because I've had those. I know what that feels like and I know what might lead to them. But this little thing isn't that. So, you know, I must be I must be dying. That yeah. must be what is happening. Having a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and actually usually it is. like you said, it's a small thing that has just tipped a balance that you just can't. Uh, and then after a panic and go back and go oh that's why I felt like that and that's why that happened but when you're sort of in it it's so irrational
0: that you can't you can't pinpoint it I totally get that And I think a lot of conversations like this are why we landed on the structure of our podcast and the name of our podcast is that, that drop in the bucket that often it is that final drop that just spills something over. And then we focus on the drop. Why is that tiny drop bothered me so much? And it's because if you, like you say, after the events area, you look back and you realize that the bucket was already completely full and it's focusing on the other things that were already in it that leads to you understanding it better. But it's, it's really difficult to, do what I'm going to ask you next, which is, you know, notice when that bucket is getting full. When do you notice, what are
2: the signs for you that the bucket is starting to fill up? Uh, for me, I, I, I get snappy. I'm normally, although I'm an anxious person, I'm, I'm quite relaxed about most things. And I know that that sounds like that doesn't really work together, but I'm generally quite a relaxed person. I get snappy and like I'll, I'll snip at people or I'll get quite short-tempered, which normally I'm not a short-tempered person at all and I also find that I get really sensed like my senses get overwhelmed so I can't at the point where I can't stand noise I know that that's when I've kind of got a bit of an issue so if there's if I'm in a situation where there's multiple noise sources I literally will have to walk out of a room and I know at the point at which I get to that where I can't stand the fact that my daughter's talking to me while the TV's on and the kettle's boiling. Like when all of those things kind of come together and cause stress when they're just not, you know, a normal happening in a house, that's when I kind of know that I'm, I'm sort of a bubbling point, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, that does make a lot of sense as well. Because I suppose what you're saying is there's, I feel less, less space in my brain for all of those extra things. As yeah, soon as exactly. all those things start coming in from different directions, I, I can't deal with them all the same way that I would be able to if I was calmer.
2: Yeah, I kind of, I I think I like to to feel as if everything, I'm sort of in control of everything. And then when things that are outside of my control sort of pile on, when it already feels that there's a lot in there, then it it gets too much.
1: And I guess a lot of that is quite internal. It's stuff that you are aware of. When do you think other people maybe start to notice?
2: So my, my husband is like amazing at doing this. He kind of, he knows before I do. And prior to doing this today, I asked him last night how he knows. And he said he didn't know. He claimed it was his superpower, which (laughs) in a way, I guess it is. Um, But yeah, he spots it before I do. So I guess there must be little, you know, little pointers along the way that tell him that probably the fact that I've walked out of the room and the telly's been turned on, little things like that, but he spots it straight away. And with other people, I think it's me starting to get a little bit snappy when normally I would be relatively calm. Yeah. At what point do you try to do something about it? At the point in which I feel it's affecting the people around me, I guess. If I'm, when I do get snappy, it feels like if what's inside me is affecting, you know, if, if I'm snapping at my daughter for wanting to do something crafty or, you know, something that's completely normal for a four-year-old to want to do. But I've, there's so much stuff in my head that I can't think about lollipop sticks, feathers and glue right now. Like, I know that you know, that's the point at which actually I need to you know, take a step back, try and work out what it is that's actually got myself in a bit of a funk and um, just stop it affecting people around me, I guess.
1: I think it's so interesting, though, isn't it, that um, we have sort of been taught, I guess, that we should do something about it when it affects other people, but, but not to worry so much if it's only affecting us and actually i think there's there's a lot to be said for having the self compassion to to do something about it when it's when it's stressing us even if it's not affecting other people but i think
0: yeah.
1: that takes i think particularly when you when you live with anxiety you come to just accept a normal level of uncomfortableness for yourself
2: Definitely. yeah
1: and actually sometimes having the time having the time and capacity to do something about it almost feels like it's not worth the effort yeah it's just the one extra
2: thing that you need to do yeah
0: yeah oh I need to look after myself today as well yeah add that to my to do (laughs) well I find the time to do that bit yeah yeah I was gonna say because earlier when you were talking about mess I completely you obviously you could Uh, see this listeners I was just nodding and smiling because I think I said in a previous episode that's something I really like my house to be just very tidy I I really get stressed out about mess as well and when you just said about your daughter wanting to get out like the glue and the feathers and the lollipop sticks I just thought oh no my son at the moment is nearly one but he's going to want to do those kind of things and that's really going to challenge my mess at home isn't it I wonder if he can just go around to auntie Sarah's for all craft activities you know I
1: literally just thought it's fine he can just come to mine. I've just had to hoover my car out um, because I realised that a pot of blue glitter had just fallen all over the back of it and it would just been there for like weeks and I was like well whatever Um, but yeah no, I'll do that I'll do all the craft
2: stuff don't you worry glitter glitter gets everywhere although I found the biggest challenge was Play-Doh when she first started playing with Play-Doh and everything gets mixed together and it's just pots and pots of brown Play-Doh that was that was a challenge for me smells good though doesn't it it does it's amazing great stuff (laughs) So, when
0: your bucket does overflow, it's got too full, and like you said, something maybe a little, maybe big just tips you over the edge, what happens for you?
2: Um, I think I, tend, I sort of zone out a little bit. I kind of go into a bit of a bubble where I feel like I'm slightly removed from everything. And I think that feels a little bit like protection, I guess. It's trying to protect other people around me because if I don't, if I'm being snappy, then if I don't talk, then I'm not going to hurt other people's feelings. But also, when I had the therapy years ago, it was, you know, fantastic learning, you know, how to verbalize what you're feeling to talk to other people about it, which I'm way better at doing now than I used to be. But it's still hard, I think, to, to do that when you're in the middle of it. I think it's easier afterwards once you've taken a step out of it. Um, so I do tend to zone out a little bit. And that's, that's a point at which I definitely know that I need to do something about it. Um, and I get quite within that i'll I'll become quiet but then i'll be quite quick to anger as well and again for things that you know there's really no need to be angry about
1: i think it's hard though isn't it when you know that the things that are bothering you maybe wouldn't bother other people it's quite hard to express to people how much something quite small might be stressing you because i think i've got my brother's one he's so chilled that if i said to him i'm really like i'm really stressed about this thing he'd be like why and I kind of go oh it's not really worth saying it because actually it's just going to make me sound like I'm making a big deal out of nothing and yet actually all of those things can build up but also I think the part of the way that your brain works when you have anxiety is that those thi- little things can feel really really big and so yeah you don't want to I feel I sometimes I feel a little bit ashamed I think of like you know I feel I feel so stressed about this but other people don't and I don't kind of want to say or that maybe it would show weakness or something.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think with me as well, I kind of carry, I I feel guilty. So I'm aware that I'm generally in a fortunate position you know I, I get to I freelance from home the the job that I do means that you know I can do the hours anytime in the day so I can work around my daughter I'm fortunate that I'm in a position that my partner is enough for me to be able to just do that part-time and to be able to you know spend lots of time indulging the passion which is my website and children's books so it feels like I just shouldn't really have the right sometimes to get stressed or to feel bad because I know that You know, comparatively, I mean, I'm I'm really lucky, so I shouldn't feel bad. We
0: talked about that a lot at the beginning of lockdown, because that seemed to be something that was coming out. You know, everybody was struggling with lockdown for various different reasons, but then very quickly, everyone felt, well, most people felt very guilty about that because you were kind of hit with other people who had it worse, other people who actually had COVID-19 or had to work on the wards or things like that. Um, And, you know, all I've got to do is sit at home all day with my family, but it doesn't like knowing that you are lucky in some ways doesn't make the things that you're struggling with disappear. Yeah. It doesn't. So, yeah. I also think that when you've, like Sarah, you said you could give an explanation for why why is that stressing you out the explanation takes quite a lot of time (laughs) to actually go into okay well let's sit with this bucket and unpick all of the things and take them all out and go through when they happened and what and that could take a really long time and I think that one of the reasons that having something like the bucket metaphor or the spoons that we've talked about before and just having a language for it that the people closest to you anyway know if you just said my bucket's full and you don't understand exactly what's going on. You don't understand exactly what's filled it up necessarily, but you can give the person enough time to just go, okay, I know that that means you might not be able to explain that to me right now. And if you want to at a later date, then you can great. And I'm here for you. But yeah, taking away that need
2: to explain why you're not feeling okay. Cause it's a big pressure, isn't it? Definitely. It's something that, I mean, I do it a lot now, but prior to before I had my daughter, when I worked in an office role, I would find that, I think it was almost cyclical. I'd kind of hit a period where I just decided I was terrible at my job and there was no way they would want to keep employing me. And, you know, why am I doing it? It was never because of anything that happened at work where I was doing pretty well. It was, it's just a, a feeling that kind of slowly builds up and then has to sort of come out in some way. But my husband would always, the second that I'd say, oh I think I did this really badly then he would know that you know that we were at that point and that you know it's uh he was very good at having conversations kind of talking me down and being the voice of reason throwing things at me that I'd done well so that I could you know, rationalize it.
1: I think it just shows it doesn't it that that work is never done is it as in like work on work on yourself and how you cope with things like I've always found that I feel like I go, oh, I've got it sorted now. I've got the answers for how I'm going to deal with this. And then something else happens. I'm like, oh no, I still need to work on that. I still need to take those steps. It comes back around. And, and actually we still need to sometimes ut- con- more consciously utilize the tools that we have within us to cope with some of those things, which leads us nicely on to uh, our last question, which is about kind of what helps to empty your bucket? So lists,
2: if I, if I have lists and time I think just making the time to be able to actually sit down and think right what do I actually need to do what don't I need to do listing things um, I find it's always really useful Um, and then in terms of actually looking after myself I'm a big fan of a bubble bath and reading reading is always like ever since I was a kid it's been like the thing that I do to calm myself down and um, yeah definitely reading this year sort of once I'd had my daughter I went from reading sort of four or five books a week to four or five books a year. And this year I've made a point of saying, right, I'm starting back, making sure that I take the time to to read. And um, I finished book number 40 of the year yesterday, which I was really proud of. Um, And I think lockdown's helped with that, I guess, as well, because it's meant that my husband's working from home as well. So we're kind of swapping out, you know, taking time for taking care of my daughter and time for, you know, to do things for ourselves, so. Reading's is a big one. I also recently learned to crochet and I find that quite not something I ever saw myself doing because I don't particularly consider myself to be creative but I had lessons and the lady's fantastic and just the repetition of it is just so calming. So I'm currently making a blanket for my mum's sofa which is uh, very relaxing and that definitely calms me down.
0: Yeah we're both big fans of crochet as well. Oh right. really? yeah I, th- I learned years ago and then I didn't do it for ages so I completely lost the skill really and I think it's one of those things that when you pick it up it's so frustrating to watch someone else do it so effortlessly when mm-hmm. you feel like you're all fingers and thumbs and you don't feel like you'll ever get there and you do just that repetition and the practicing it and before you know it you're you're really quite good at it and yeah. it's lovely to then teach someone else who's new at it and see how far you've come I think.
1: I think it's quite nice it takes up space in my brain as in you know it, it, although it's not all consuming as you know when you can get into that repetitive rhythm I don't ha- I find this with gardening as well I don't have time my brain doesn't have capacity to think about all the other things that are around it I was I was watching an interview with them um, the actress Anna Kendrick and she was asked kind of what do you do to relax and she said, oh I, lo- I like to bake what I like to do is I like to put on um, a film with director's commentary and I like to uh, just be there with like butter and sugar and she was like just then I don't hear all the voices of people going oh you're rubbish I do is like butter and sugar and like all this like and I was like oh wow <laughs> I just never thought of it like that but actually something taking up the space in your brain that could be occupied with all the negative thoughts And I find crocheting is quite a a good thing for that because it keeps my hands busy. I'm concentrating enough, but not overwhelmingly so. And um, yeah, sometimes those things are the most helpful, aren't they?
0: Also, you can't pick up your phone and get distracted by things.
2: Yeah, definitely. I I very much get distracted by, by my phone a lot. So it's nice to be able to put that to the side and focus on just one thing.
0: Yeah. I think going back to reading, I think obviously certain books and certain topics in books are great for helping us to understand more about emotions or different experiences or helping us connect with something. But just reading, often regardless of what it is, is something that people often tell us empties their buckets. It's a really, really common one. What do you think it is about reading that's so helpful?
2: The same as crochet. I think it, it just takes up all the space in your brain that like you become completely consumed with whatever it is that you're reading. It's definite escapism.
0: i wonder if there are any books that have particularly you found particularly helpful um in terms of your mental health or kind of comfort books that you just keep returning to and that you know they'll help to empty your bucket
2: i find that i'm not really into self help i tried reading books about anxiety and books about depression and i found that i they didn't help me because it was it seemed quite overwhelming to to have to think about it all i know that's what you're supposed to do but when it comes to my reading time then for me it's doesn't matter if it's fiction or non-fiction i kind of read a, a mix of both but just something that takes you away from your, your 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 current everyday i guess there isn't one my favorite book of all time is wuthering heights i find that quite comforting in that i think i first read it when i was 13 or 14 and i read it i did it again for a level Um, I did it at university. It just keeps cropping up in my life. I've got like multiple copies of it, some with like notes all down the margins. I've got a really nice second edition that my husband bought me as a present. So that's a comforting read in so much as a dark Gothic novel can be comforting, but I think it's just comforting because it's familiar. But anything really, I I tend to, I will happily read most things. Yeah.
0: And you've told us what your favourite book was when you were a child, but do you have children's books that are a favorite now that you've started reading obviously some newer
2: ones with your daughter yes so my favorite of the ones that we i've read with ivy is a book called where happiness lives which came out last year it's written by barry timms and published by little tiger it's just beautiful it's about mice there's a little mouse who lives in a small house and he constantly looks up to the hill to where there's a mouse who lives in a bigger house and he wants what that mouse wants and he goes and he visits that house. But that mouse is actually looking at a bigger house that's further up the hill. It's sort of constantly wanting what you don't have. But then when you get to the end of the story, you realise that the mouse that lives in the biggest house is lonely. And she has a little telescope um, in the roof of her house on which she looks down at the first mouse's little house because that's where she thinks happiness lives, in the small little house, which is full of, you know, full of people, full of like, love. It's beautiful it's making me cry just think about it thinking about it I love it and it's like my favorite one to give as a gift it's such a nice book it's beautifully illustrated as well
0: oh that's amazing
2: one of the things I love so much about your website as
0: well is there are so many I mean there are so many adult books as well but there are so many children's books that it can be quite overwhelming to walk into a library or a bookshop and think um you know what do I want to buy what do I want to get out for I mean my son is only one, so he really doesn't care about the content of books at the moment, but I do, <laughs> and I'm yes. starting to think about what I want to read a bit in the future or just read with with other kids or give us gifts and things and I, I'm lucky that I've got Sarah for that as well because obviously she gets through a lot of books at school, but I really have enjoyed looking at some of your lists, particularly the ones about how to talk to children about grief and loss and books that talk about emotions and friendships and things, and have somebody do a little bit of the groundwork for me is really really helpful
2: yeah I think that was kind of it I mean setting it up was a happy accident I just started sharing books that we liked on Instagram as just it's kind of like a little project for me and then it grew into something much bigger but I found that when I was looking for books for Ivy when she was much smaller the the ones that you tend to see on the shelves in the big bookshops or the you know the ones that you see on everybody's bookshelves They're not necessarily the best books. They're quite often just the ones with the biggest marketing budgets. And because there are so many out there, it's just easier to buy the ones that look familiar or buy an author that you're already aware of. So I kind of made a point of just looking for books that weren't just the mainstream. Um, I'm quite fortunate where I live, there's three or four really nice little children's bookshops which have great selections. That's kind of where it started. And then I purposely went out and did the research to to just find things that as well as being a lovely story sort of taught ivy things about life and how things work around her as well i, mean, I made a conscious effort to make sure that the books on our shelves are, are diverse so that there's different races different religions different just different ways of living reflected throughout the books but also making sure that they're enjoyable as well i don't like books that I try too hard to be worthy you know, they have to be fun. Otherwise, the kid's just not going to engage with them. There are quite a lot out there that take on big issues and look lovely, but actually they're not engaging for children. So it's trying to find the ones that strike that balance between looking and sounding fantastic, but also keeping kids entertained.
0: Mm. Sarah, do you have a favourite kids book that you'd like to read to your kids or
1: yes um although it, I, I, weirdly it's not actually a picture book. So it's called the, uh, the book with no pictures
0: i love
2: that book
1: <laughs> um and it's um it's written by G- bj novak who's a comedian in the states and um yeah it's got no pictures so you don't ever show it to the children but it's hilarious and it's basically based on the concept that Um, the adult reading the book has to say whatever the words say. And you end up saying really stupid things like my face is a blueberry pizza and my best friend in the whole world (laughs) is a hippo named Boo Boo Butt. And they just, they think it's hilarious. Um, And at the end it goes, oh no, please don't ever make me read this again next time. Can you please choose a book that has pictures? And yeah, that's one of my absolute favourites. But I read it and I recorded myself reading it during lockdown for my class. And it was the most bizarre experience because I'm so used to getting feedback from the children straight away. So to read this ridiculous book with no laughter, just me on my own in the room was really, really difficult. And um, But what was lovely was I then shared it with the other classes in my school as well. And it became this ripple effect where one of the other teachers went, oh, I saw that on your page. That's hilarious. Can I share it with mine? I was like, yeah, sure. And suddenly the whole school of have basically read this book because I record myself reading it um, in an opportunity I never would have normally got to be able to share that um so now everybody knows that your face is a blueberry pizza yeah (laughs) basically I do think you have to um anytime you read children's books to children you do have to sort of abandon any sense of dignity or or like kind of self-consciousness because you have to live in the world with them you have to commit to the story and and believe in the magic of the story as much as as they would otherwise they're never going to get there themselves but then I think sometimes I found if I'm not quite in the mood for that the children are the first ones to get me out of that bad mood because actually they just see the world in such a different way and books are such a wonderful way to do that that actually if I do ever go into school kind of in a bit of a grump or feeling overwhelmed it's usually the children and a story that has changed that.
2: Shelley what's your favorite thing about reading to your daughter? when when she was smaller it was connection i think i started reading to her when she was really really young so sort of three or four months old just because i found it quite strange once my husband had gone back to work to to just be in a house with someone who needs you but who doesn't talk it's quite a strange it's a strange thing so i was i find that i was you know you have to talk to your children so i was just dictating my day to her a lot of the time which starts to make you feel a little bit crazy when you're going I'm I'm just putting the kettle on and now I'm going to it's a little bit strange so I found that reading to her really helped build that connection and obviously you know you, you have them sat on you and it's that's just continued she loves absolutely loves to come sit on my lap read a story and we've moved on to sort of early chapter books now that we read at bedtime, but we still we read picture books. All, we've got books literally all over the house and she'll grab picture books at any time of day, come sit on my lap and ask me to read to her. And then we do the chapter books at bedtime and it's just a really nice way of bonding. And I think she knows that's our thing. So that that's what me and her always do together. And she gets very excited talking about the stories.
1: With the families at school, I often get parents saying to me, Oh, what can I do to help them with their reading? And I'm like, I don't I mean great if you can look at reading but I said but actually the biggest thing if you just look at share a book with your child every day that would make the biggest difference on the planet to children learning how to read and write because actually if they're around stories and language and they like they see books as a as a good place and a place they want to be that makes the biggest difference and you can see it the children who pick up reading and writing and literacy skills quickest are the ones whose parents just share books with them all the time?
2: We had, a, when we went, we did, um, I was been at preschool and we did her first sort of parents evening of sorts. Yeah, they commented and they could tell, the teacher said she could tell that we write. I mean, they benefit from the fact that we give our excess books to the school. So she knows that we do read a lot, but she said that you can tell from her vocabulary and the fact that she can anticipate what might come next in a story. And she, she started to imagine, how a story could be different to how it is so she'll she'll say oh imagine if they did this instead and then she'll create her own version of the story which is really lovely that's
0: amazing sarah you you do that a lot with your kids as well don't you, you get books that just have pictures in and get them just. what do you think is going on or what do you think is going to happen next or could happen next and
1: yeah I've been um I do a lot of story starters so I'll get a really interesting picture and put it up on the board and just kind of say tell me what you think might be happening here and we'll start stories from there um or one of my favorite things to do with them is to take a story we know really well like a like a traditional tale a fairy tale and um and change something about it so innovate it so go you know okay what if actually Little Red Riding Hood got to grandma's house and grandma was just there. <laughs> you know, you, you change something about the story or pose a philosophical question. One of my favorite things to do um is pose them the question of should Goldilocks go to jail? <laughs> she broke into someone's house yeah, she did. And, and stole her thing stole their things. And then I one one kid came back once and went, mm, but they left the door open. What did they really expect? <laughs> I was blame like oh, wow. <laughs> So you know, I think anything you can do around that. But you're right. Children who know a lot of stories and have been around a lot of stories are generally the ones who can think outside of those things. And it's about having conversations, isn't it? Kind of, it's not just reading just the words on the page, but talking to your child as you as you read those stories. I think makes a big difference as well.
2: Definitely. And I think that one of the things that I did on the subject of you know emotions and mental health was that because growing up you know, I'm in my forties now. So like when I was a child, you didn't really talk about mental health. It wasn't really something, you know, it's just something that happened to other people. And, you know, you had all the, the people in white coats type stories. It wasn't really something that happened to to just normal everyday people. Um, so when it happened to me as an adult, then you don't really have the vocabulary to talk about it. So I very much wanted with Ivy to make sure that she kind of had the tools to be able to talk about how she felt from an early age. So we have lots and lots of books that talk about lots of different ways about talking about feelings. We had a book arrive yesterday, which I got very excited about called my book of feelings, which is published next week, I think, which has got an emoji spinner in it so it's a just a little board book that's got this little spinner built into the side and then as you flick through the book it gives you lots of different scenarios and then you spin the faces to try and guess how the person might have been feeling in that scenario well i need to get that That amazing (laughs) it's brilliant Um, and it's published by little tiger it's a it's a really really good one but um we've got so many books about books about anger books about um you know anxiety and worry and sadness and It all helps, definitely. And as much as we all
0: love children's books, I was wondering whether you had any adult book recommendations, maybe something that you
2: particularly loved from this year? Uh, So I've just finished reading An American Marriage by Tayari Jones, which I loved. And as soon as I really love a book, I need to just go and tell everybody else that they need to read it, Um, which is about a young black couple living in America. And he is incorrectly um, accused of a crime and has to go to prison. And it shows sort of how they have to live parallel lives within their marriage and then what happens when he comes out of prison. Brilliant. Really, really enjoyed it. Really well written. And the other one that I've loved this year is a book called Daisy Jones and the Six, which seems to really divide people, but it's written as if it's a biography of a rock band, but it's fiction and it's fantastic. Really, really well written. And it's a because it's a mock biography. It's quite clever the way it's written, all the different viewpoints all mixed together, and then kind of get to a point in the book where you realise how it all, without spoiling it, I can't really say, but how it all kind of ties together is fantastic. And they're making a TV series of that one as well, apparently. So I'm very excited about that.
0: Shelley, thank you. I feel like I'm coming out of this with a very varied and extended uh, TV red pile. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. Um, we will link to all this information in the show notes. But where can people find you online?
2: Uh, So my blog URL is www.ivyslibrary.com and all my reviews are in there along with sort of lists by topic. Um, I also post two books a day to Instagram and to Facebook, uh, both as at Ivy's Library. And I, if you follow me on one of those, Instagram or Facebook, I will also always, when I post a review, I will post pictures from inside the book as well. So you can sort of have a read of the first few pages and see if it's something that you want to buy. Fantastic. Well, Shelley,
0: again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, like I said, I just love any excuse to talk about books and reading anyway. So thank you for that for me. But I think that that was just a really interesting um, and helpful conversation for other people to listen to as well. And thank you for being so open about your experiences and uh, giving us your time today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we hope you'll join us next week with our next guest. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Drop in the Bucket. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at dropinthebucketpod or Twitter at dropbucketpod. Alternatively, you could email us on dropinthebucketpod at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from some of you about what fills and empties your bucket or any questions that you might have for us or our future guests. We hope you'll tune in next week.